This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'm speaking this morning on this subject, God still loves the world. So we're going to be looking this morning in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read for you verses 7 through 10. And the scripture says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, I know that's a big word, and it's a word that perhaps some in here today may not be very familiar with. But this word propitiation means satisfaction or our substitute. And the truth of the matter is this Jesus, when he died on the cross, he became our substitute, he took my place. He took your place, and the Scripture says that he became our satisfaction. He satisfied the heart and mind of God with his sacrifice on the cross. And again, this morning, I want to speak for the next few moments on this subject. God still loves the world. One of the greatest truths that the entire human race needs to know today is that what the cross had to say, it's still saying today that God still loves the world. I want you to think about that. That's hard to believe in a world like we live in today, never in my life. Have I seen the world in such a state that it's in today where it is blatantly showing and displaying hostility towards God in ways that surpasses my imagination? I've shared this with you many times in the past, but uh, as I have mentioned uh, frequently, D.L. Moody, one of the greatest preachers that's ever walked on this planet, said that repetition is the greatest teacher of all. I like that old song that says, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. But I can remember when I was in the first grade in 1963, there was an organization still in practice today. I don't believe or know that it's as predominant today as it was back in that day, but in 1963, I can tell you that there was a ministry called the Gideons. Have you ever heard of them, the Gideons? And the Gideons, they would come to our public school, and they would, on the first day of school, they would take a Gideon New Testament 
and they would place it on every single desk in the classroom and every grade in the grade school. We would come into the classroom and there we would find our Gideon New Testament and the teacher would ask us to find a passage and in that scripture we would stand, respectfully stand. Some of you remember the day when you respectfully stood. We stood at the desk and we would read together the Lord's Prayer. I'm, I'm telling you now, folks, as my hand before God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be the, in the public school. We would stand at our desk not only reading from the Gideon New Testament, the model prayer, which is really what it is, We would also be instructed to stand there at the desk and we would sing songs like, My Country, Tis of Thee. America the Beautiful. So, some of you may remember the day. The kids nowadays have no clue what I'm talking about. I might as well be talking in a foreign language. They don't have a clue what this is about today. But I can remember the day back in 1963 where the love of God was demonstrated openly. I can remember the day even when I was growing up a few years beyond 1963 when they had what was called the Blue Law. Does anybody remember that? Where you didn't work on Sundays. Remember that? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but that was a reality. And, and things were shut down and be, it was just out of, a, out of a normal way of respect. You're okay, sister? We want to make sure you're all right. She, she's okay? Needs oxygen? Okay. Brother Greg, help her out there. Especially if she needs mouth to mouth, you help her out there, all right? <laughs> okay. So we'll help her out. I'm, I'm glad she's back in church. Aren't you glad to see Sister Judy? That is a perfect demonstration of somebody that really wants to be here. You want to see somebody else that really wants to be in church to house? Look at Sister Rose sitting over there this morning. I'm telling you this, and this is the gospel truth. If you want to be here, God will make a way. God will make a way. And here is the thing, the Gideons were in, in public ministry. Uh, they, they could go to parades downtown. I would watch them, and they would pass out Bibles on the street, and it was welcomed. We could stand and recite. Listen, the Ten Commandments were on the walls in the schoolhouse. I, I remember the day. But it's not like that anymore. In fact, what I'm telling you this morning, as I have already mentioned, it's, it's like Greek to some people. You, there are some people even watching by Internet today, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But yes, it was in my lifetime. I experienced it. There are some of you today that experienced it. 
even in this changing world, listen carefully, that we know today, and it's a vehement, it's a vehement progression, I believe, of a demonic influence that has captivated the minds and hearts of human beings today that is in full, a full court press against the things of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and the sad thing is millions of people have never even recognized his love. You think about it just for a minute. In fact, in my opinion, there is no greater mystery than to not understand, not to accept, not to embrace the love of God is free to everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord and who would open their hearts and minds to receive it. It's one sad thing not to know about his love. That's why we have missionaries. We have missionaries that takes the gospel to foreign fields. But listen, I don't believe for one minute that the only people on the earth who do not know about God's love are living in jungles. They're, they're probably people in our neighborhood that doesn't know. It's one thing to not know about his love, but it's another thing altogether to deny or to reject his love. I made this statement a couple of years ago, and I've never forgot it. I wrote it down. Maybe some of you remember it very well. But the other day, and I would say a couple of years ago, meaning the other day, listen carefully, I saw a young boy about 13 or 14 years old walking in the mall, and he had a T-shirt on. He said, American by birth and Antichrist by choice. Now you think, where does a kid get that kind of stuff from? I wonder how many people live from day to day feeling in their hearts, sincerely feeling in their hearts that God doesn't love them. The sad thing is people can feel that way, and they're all around us. You may know somebody like that that feels honestly feels that God doesn't love them. They're living miserable lives under the mindset that God does not love them. Now, whether they've been taught that, that there is no God, Maybe because of shattered circumstances in their life or broken relationships or maybe because of health infirmities or feeling less fortunate than others, some people get out of bed every morning feeling as though that God never acknowledged their existence. But one of the most important facts about the Bible is this. Not only was it recorded long ago, but it's still being echoed down through the centuries of time, and that is God still loves the world and every single person in it. Can the church say amen? amen. That profound thought, I believe, should begin in every day, end in every day of our lives, and that no matter what happens, we can still let the sun set on the circumstances of our life knowing that God still loves us. And I think it should define every goal that you have. It should be the thing that governs every action that you take. It should dominate every thought that you have, that truly you are indeed loved by God. And we have to keep in mind that God not only loves all of us when we're good, when we receive him as our personal savior, we make accomplishments in our life for his glory. We give out the good news of the word. We disciple people. We invite them to church. Listen, God not only loves us when we please him, 
He not only loves us when we fall deeper in love with him, but God loves us when we fail, when we break his heart, when we disobey him, when we drift out of his will, when we take his name in vain, when we take him for granted. No matter what, God still loves us. Amen. The fact remains that God, no matter who we are, Where we are in life, he still loves us. And the Bible constantly reminds us that it's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse number 16. The scripture says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now, to understand this a little bit better, there are two important things here that I I believe that we should not confuse about his love. So listen very carefully. Number one is this, that we don't reverse what this verse is talking about. Because when we take the word of God out of context, when we change it, when we try to modernize it, we lose the important truths that was given by divine inspiration. The Bible says that God is love, but listen carefully. Not all love is of God. Now, I want you to think about that. When we begin to think that all love comes from God, we're headed for trouble. You see, there are many kinds of loves in this world, many types of love, many many different kinds. There are counterfeit loves just as though there are real genuine loves all around us. A parent may say this, and it breaks my heart, but it's, and it's true and it's sickening, but it happens all over the world today. A parent may say, I'm not going to discipline my child because I love them too much. Let me simply say this. That's incorrect thinking. Some parent may say, well, just... I'm not going to discipline them. I want them to learn by their mistakes. Now, is that real love? People can become in love or obsessed with money, but the Word says that it's the root of all evil. People can have sexual encounters outside of the realms of marriage, and they call it love. But God calls it different things, adultery and fornication. All those kinds of love, they do not bear even a remote resemblance of the love of God. So listen carefully, not all love is of God. And then number two on this, and we cannot assume that because God has to deal with us harshly at times, that he does not love us at that moment of discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 7 says this, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, look at this now, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So I want you to try to understand this this morning. It's not just the fact that we know that God loves, but the real truth is that God is love. 
That's what we're talking about. And God's love, listen, God's love is not from something that we caused. It's not from a cause that we have initiated. That's so important. Please get that truth. We did absolutely nothing to cause God to love us. Nothing whatsoever. This is something that the world teaches, I believe. They, they, they need to get this fact because people think that if we do this, God loves us. If we don't do that, God loves us. He loved us in spite of it all. The world says that if you do this or that, if you meet certain conditions because of your good actions, because of your intellect, because of your social status, because of your wealth, or because you look this way, or you can talk to certain people that way, you see the world's love always has conditions built upon it. And from our human perspectives now and relationships It's true that we generally do not love people who manifest unattractive or repelling actions against us. That's a given. But God's love for the world is not like that. From the very beginning, it's always been unprompted and uninfluenced. I want to share with you quickly five things about God's redeeming love today. God still loves the world. Number one, God's love is uncaused. I hope you'll follow along with us today. You see, there was nothing we did or ever could do that would make God, motivate God to love us. And there's nothing in this world that we could do to stop him from loving us. God still loves the world simply because he is God. The amazing truth is this, there's nothing that any of us can do to make God love us any more than how much he loves us right now. He demonstrated that with Jesus on the cross. There's no greater achievement, listen carefully, no greater beauty, no greater fame, not even greater levels of spirituality. There is nothing you can do to grow closer to the Lord to make him love you anymore. He loves us when we're good, when we're spiritual. He loves us when we're bad, when we're unspiritual. There is nothing that we have ever done. There is nothing that we could ever do to make make God love us any less than what he does right now. No sin, no failure could ever weaken the love that God has for this world. I want you to see this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers. You see, God's love is not a reaction. God's love is an action. That's all the difference in the world. So God's love is uncaused. Number two, God's love is unreasonable. Now, somebody at first may say, well, preacher, that's a a blatantly presumptuous statement. But hang with me just for a moment. And I don't use this in a derogatory way. I think you know me well enough by now to know that. But when you stop and think about this, I think it makes us grateful that his love to the world is unreasonable. 
And I want you to think with me this morning. From the very first day that Adam and Eve sinned against God, mankind as a whole began to rebel against him. Every day since that day of creation, man has drifted away from him. Man has rebelled against him. Now, I want you to see, this scripture is not on your outline today, but I'm going to ask them to find it real quick for me back there. I think it's, I believe it's Isaiah 58.1. Let's try that. Get that on the screen for me. Isaiah chapter 58. Look at this, look at this passage. That's it. Cry out, spare not. Now, I'm going to take the words of the prophet saying, Pastor Tony, set up straight, pay attention. I have a word from the Spirit for you. And this is what I would hear the Spirit say to me. Pastor Tony, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. That's a powerful verse of Scripture. That verse of Scripture is not politically correct. I like it. <laughs> I like it. You know me, but listen carefully. Since the day of creation, man has rebelled against him as a whole. Man has only given God nothing but disappointment and heartbreak. I want you to think about the sad conditions of the world today. There were those kinds of conditions that were in the days of old as it was in the day of Noah. Even in the last days, the word says, as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man shall come. But listen carefully. I want to explain something to you. We see the world changing every day and things that are going so fast, happening so fast, it's blowing our minds. We cannot comprehend it. Things that are going on in the world today wasn't even in most of our imaginations 25 years ago. When God reached down to the dust of the ground and he formed a man in his own likeness and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, making him to become a living soul, and then he took a rib out of Adam's body and made a woman. Listen, God got it right. When God created man and woman, he did not... He did not stop and say, now, now she's going to need a lover here in a little while. Or he's going to need a lover down the road a little bit. So let me make Adam and Steve just for a moment here. He didn't do that. You say, preacher, you're getting to preaching now. <laughs> Listen, that's what he's... He reached down to the dust, the dirt of the ground. He formed it all. He got it all together. He went, <sighs> he breathed the breath of life, his breath into man's nostrils, making him a living soul. And listen, I don't care how this world is evolving and thinking and moving today. If it was wrong back then, it is wrong today. I saw something the other night I couldn't hardly believe. We're, we're, we're going we're to have some serious direction in our nation in just a couple of days. I, I saw someone 
that, that's running for a political office in Virginia who has a Peruvian background, hadn't been here awful long, but now has come up with this. She is saying that children have a right to decide personally whether they want to be transgender or not. And they're saying, now, if a child wants to become transgender, which, by the way, when God created Adam and Eve, he got it right. He got it right. Now, if God is omniscient, which means all-knowing, couldn't God know then what he sees now? Now, if he saw down through the centuries of time what's going on right now, if he'd have had any inclination that what's going on now would have been right, he'd have got something changed or different or worked out a little bit different in the very beginning. But that's not what he did. He made Adam and Eve, and then he said this, multiply and replenish the earth. So if you're getting sucked into this new world mentality, let me tell you something. It is anti-God. It is anti-Bible. It's not in the Word. This politician said that if a parent or parents refuse to allow their child to become transgender, she is going to make a motion for a law to be created in Virginia to have that parent or set of parents charged with child abuse and have the authorities come rolling down their driveway. Now, listen, are you trying to tell me because of the ungodly influence that children are getting in school today that an 11-year-old child can be so influenced around their peers that they want to be a girl today, a boy tomorrow, a girl today, a boy. They're so mixed up they don't know, but they want to give them puberty blockers. They want to give them all of this wicked uh, scholastic teachings, and, and, and they are confusing the child so much. Are you telling me that this person wants to make a law in Virginia that if a parent doesn't allow their child to have a transgender sex change at 11 years old, and by the way, they don't even have to notify their parents. How in the world can that happen? The, the, people have gone insane. And this woman is saying, yeah, that's what she's going to do. By the way, now they're having what is called open drag queen parties. And you're saying, preacher, you're just preaching now. That's, I'm glad you're here today. It, it's sickening to, to, to see a man in a wig and a lipstick and dress and high heel shoes on and talking filthy, filled with profanities, words that some of them I don't even know the meaning of. And inviting children to these restaurants to have all these open, unbelievable escapades and where people are paying them money like they were in a strip club.
And then you find people that are walking down the street getting hit over the head with a baseball bat. Somebody's taking the pocketbook from an elderly lady and, and, and they go downtown, get their picture taken, get a handshake, and then been let out on the street again. Folks, this world is insane. What I'm trying to tell you is and reminding you of this nonsense that there are so many things happening in this world today that resembles. Do you remember there were only eight people on the ark? God had enough of it. It was nauseating to him. Can you imagine only eight people on the earth? On the earth that stood for righteousness. We're living in a day and we're living in a society where we're seeing the world just evolve and turn into a crowd just like it was in the days of Noah. But the word is true because the Bible says that right before the Lord returns, we would see a reoccurrence of these kind of things. But I'm telling you, in spite of all of these impossible things to imagine and what they're teaching, I saw a lady the other night, she stood up again. It was another lady standing up again in a school board meeting, holding up a big book and reading the things, the contents of this book, filled with profanities on the shelves of the school library. One of the people were telling the lady to shut up and sit down. They didn't want to hear that stuff, but it's being taught to the kids. God, help us. And people are going to trot down the road and, and vote for stuff like that. I, I, I don't, but God said now, listen, that it would happen in the last days. And as a whole, listen, people have given God only disappointment, only heartbreak, only sorrow. Yet, you and I see from our perspective that if God had chosen, when we think this, if God had chosen to deal with this world in a reasonable fashion, you and I are, we are taken back by this. We, it's appalling to us what we see. And we think, well, if I was God and if I was in charge, this is what I'd do. Man, I would zap them all. We would all think those kind of things. Boom, you're out of here. Boom, you're out of here. We think that's a reasonable response. We think because of the world and the conditions that we're in today, we would say, God, it would be very reasonable and we would understand if you would abandon humanity, if you would destroy this planet and destroy these wicked people on the earth, if you had done it a long time ago. We get it, God. We understand it. But this is a prime example of Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 8 and 9. The scripture says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So while God's love to this world remains unreasonable to all of us, to a lot of us, from his view, from his perspective, it's not irrational. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, the word says this. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But look at this. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think about the magnitude of that verse today just for a moment. I wonder how many people in here today would give their life for a good neighbor. And I wonder how many in here today would give their life for the vilest of criminals. I don't know that any of us would do that. I think we would say, not me. And that's a reasonable reaction. That's a reasonable response. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's exactly what he did for the world. When Jesus died for us, we were all, every single one of us, we were all card-carrying members of the eternal on our way to hell crowd. All of us. We were all card-carrying members of the Enemies of God Foundation. But listen to this. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was God's manifestation of how unreasonable his love to us really is. I mean, his love is so great. It's far-reaching. It's so overpowering that we should never cease to thank God every day for his unreasonable love. In that while we were yet sinners, not when we were good, lovely, worthy, while we were wretched, vile, hell-deserving sinners, Christ died for us. Number three, God's love is unending. Psalms 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Isaiah 57, verse number 15, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In Revelation 1.8, the word says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so all of these passages speak of God's eternal nature. You see, God's never been limited, never been limited to time and space. There has never been a human being that has ever stepped outside of time and space. We can only occupy one specific location, one fleeting moment at a time. Look at this. God's love is everywhere, all the time. His love existed deep in the depths of eternity way before time even began. God's love is never ending, and the reason for that is because God is eternal. Number four, God's love is unlimited. You know, some people stumble through this world really believing that God doesn't love them. Wondering how God could love me. Listen carefully. It's true for me. It's true for you. If we're going to be honest, let's be honest together today. I'm sure there are things in all of our lives, and I can even speak from me as an example. I, I, I know there are things in all of our lives that if we could, if we could, we would all like to go back. We would like to move the hands of time back, and we would like to go to a place where we messed up bad and we would like to fix it like it never happened. I can remember, I think the year was 1964, 65. I was 
seven years old, eight at the most. And I can remember at our little schoolhouse, at, at the North Elementary Schoolhouse, I can remember that out of the, one of the side doors, I had, I had heard, you know, I, I heard profanities for the first time in my life. I didn't know what these words meant. I remember one, one night particular, I might have been six years old, I was laying in the bed one night talking to my brother, and I just started cussing like a sailor. <laughs> my mother came in there, and she was about ready to have a heart attack, and she was wondering what in the world was going on. Where did I hear all I had no idea what she's talking about. I was just repeating what I heard. I, I got healed quick. But I can remember, like, and I wish, I wish to God, I could go back and take the hands of time, even though I was seven. Lord have mercy, seven. And I can remember out of the side door of the schoolhouse, there was a little flower bed that worked on both sides of the stoop. I can remember standing out there with a bunch of boys, seven years old, and I took God's name in vain. You know what I did? I can't, I can't get that out of my head. I can't get it out of my mind. I know it's under the blood. I know it's been forgiven. You see, it's in the sea of God's forgetfulness. It's been removed as far as the east is from the west. But I can remember when God called me to preach. I, that's one of the first things that I thought about. I was seven years old and took his name in vain. And I can remember getting in my car and driving down to that little schoolhouse as a grown man. I went to that little flower bed. I stood as best as I could remember. I put my feet in the same spot. And I lifted my heart and my hands toward heaven. I said, God, I've asked you to forgive me for this a thousand times, and I know you have, and I know you did. But I'm asking you now as a grown man, you help me be set free from it. It torments me. God, I knew better than that. I was raised better than that, just seven years old, but that's not what our home was about. And I'm sorry, God. I will tell you, as God forgave me in my little, young, ignorant, wayward life, God also reassured me in my older years that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's love is unlimited. And there are people that are going through struggles today that are saying, if I could just go back and turn back the hands of time. And, and here's what happens. You see, the devil, he's trying to shackle you to a past. He's trying, listen, when things come up in your life that you did in wayward years, listen, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's a demonic influence trying to come upon you to discourage you. 
You have to, you have to, the Bible says try the spirits and see if they be of God. God's not going to bring up anything to afflict you. He's going to deal with it when it happens. If you're a son, he whipped the living daylights out of you if you don't get it right. But you ought to be shouting about that because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if the Lord is dealing with you, listen, to get things right, you ought to say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you, God, for making me whole. The truth of the matter is this. There is never a possibility with God ever getting to a place where he doesn't love you. Now, I want to close with this one, and I want our musicians to come forward. God's love for this world is unchanging. As I mentioned just a few moments ago, this world is changing faster and faster every single day. It, it doesn't even remotely, remotely look like the world I lived in as a child. And you know what's sad and disappointing? I mean, it's like, like this world is dangling crumbs in front of, it's like people don't have a brain anymore. And they're just dangling crumbs of this godless, wicked, Christless, society that's peddling all of this filth and insanity upon us and telling us not to question it, just to shut up and put up with it, go along with it. But listen carefully. Even though that this world is changing on a daily basis, one thing that remains constant, and that's the character and the holiness of God. In Malachi 3, verse 6, the word says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verse number 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And James 1, 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom, look now, is no variableness. That means cannot be changed, will not change neither shadow of turning. And so, let me say this. Try to wrap yourself around this thought this morning. The, the truth of the matter is the honeymoon that God has had with this world since he spoke it in place. God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. The, that honeymoon experience, you see, God's been here forever, but the honeymoon experience that God has had with this planet ever since he brought it into existence has not changed one iota from its very beginning. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I'm telling you, before the world was ever created, God saw the sin of man. God knew that man would sin and that he would fall, but God also knew that where sin abounded, grace would much more abound. When Jesus was coming to the end of his early ministry, I mean, he was greatly disappointed by the lack of spiritual maturity by the disciples. Peter had denied him. Thomas had doubted him. Judas had betrayed him. And three of his most trusted disciples had fallen asleep on him. And while he was beginning to agonize over his sufferings and his soon coming cross just over the horizon, these disciples, they were arguing over who was going to have the three uppermost seats. Yet in spite of all of that, 
Jesus humbled himself and washed their feet. Washed their feet. Knowing everything, he's omniscient, knowing everything that was about to happen, he washed their feet. And this is what the scripture says about his love for them in the end. In John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And it was not just a love for his disciples because a few chapters over in chapter 17, verse 20, the word says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also. Listen, that's me, that's you. For them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Now there's a good side and a better side of God's love. I want to end with this. A good side and a better side of God's love. The good side is this. God is not going to determine tomorrow whether or not he's had too much of me and too much of you. And the better side is that even if we wake up tomorrow and think that we've had too much of him, he's still going to love us anyway. In spite of everything that's going on in the world, it's putrefying, it's sickening, it's insane, it's disgusting, it's appalling, it's nauseating. And if I could think of two more words, I'd say it. But there's still enough gospel for the world to be saved. Always remember this. God will always hate sin. But he will always love the sinner. God still loves the world. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.